Hello and welcome to C3 City Light Podcast. You'll find us here in Raleigh until all are awakened to the light and love of Jesus. We hope that you find this message encouraging. For more information, check us out at c3citylight.com or on social media at C3 City Light. All right, we are about to start a new collection of sermons on relationships. Anybody need some help with their relationships? All right, right, like, come on, man. Relationships can be tough. And it's not just about with your spouse or with your significant other. We have relationships with everybody that's involved in our life, with our professors, with our coworkers, with our boss, right? Like, it's a relationship. We have relationships with our family. We have relationships with our in-laws. We, if you have a heartbeat and you're not a hermit, you have a relationship, right? So we want to get good at relationships, So over the next four weeks, we're going to cover some of the stuff that if we're not careful, will ruin our relationships. The name of this conversation or this collection of servants is all the fills, all the fills, you know, fillings are a really good thing. I've heard it once said that fillings are a great gauge and a terrible guide. You know what I mean? Like, if you're all up in your fills and just trapped in your fillings, I'm telling you, it can get you in some trouble. It can keep you in a place of offense. It can keep you in a place of bitterness. It can, I'm just telling you, fillings are okay. It's good to fill. Fillings are a good gauge of what we're experiencing and what's going on in our life. Man, I feel mad. We try to help little Charlotte. We got a three-year-old. We try to get her to use her language, use her words to identify how she's feeling. I feel sad. All right, Charlotte, I understand. I hear you. You feel sad. Why do you feel sad, right? Not just, I'm angry. Ah, destroy like the Incredible Hulk just walking around. Like, no. Feelings are a great gauge of what we're experiencing, what we're going through, but it is a terrible guide. And in relationships, if we're not careful and we just always are led by our feelings and we're not careful, we're not aware and we don't understand the pattern that our feelings cause in our relationships, we'll just keep repeating the same mistakes, the same mistakes, the same mistakes. If you look at your track record of dating, does it always end the same way? Pattern, right? There's a chance that you're all in your feels. And there's a pattern going on. So we want to understand. We want to understand, God, what's going on with our feelings. Today we're going to talk about conflict. If you are alive, have a heartbeat, and are in a relationship or connection with somebody else, there's going to be conflict. And if there's not conflict, to me, that's a big problem. Maybe you're married to a corpse. Dump them. (laughs) I'm just saying, like, if they've got a heartbeat and you've got a heartbeat, there's going to be conflict. You, just, that's how life works. Y'all don't want to be honest. I'm going to be honest. There's conflict. That's how relationships work. And if there's not conflict, it's, there's, it's, a in, it's an indicator that there's possibly some problems. Because if you're not having conflict, that means that probably somebody's not always being truthful. Maybe they don't feel comfortable enough to express how they really feel. And you've got maybe sometimes you see in relationships one dominating personality. And so the other person just kind of rides second to all of that and what they want to do and what they're about and about their opinion. Over time, that's going to get old. Conflict's a good thing. Healthy conflict. I love you. I care about you. And I feel that I'm in a place where I can be vulnerable and honest with you about how my thoughts and how I'm feeling and what's really going on. That's a good thing. 
In the Bible, we see that it's, it's not good for man to be alone. We're created in the image of God. We see that right from Genesis. And we see that a man will leave his family, leave his, his mom and his bed, go, and two will become one. You know, we, we just see that. I'm telling you, when you've got two becoming one, you have conflict. And that's okay. It's not bad. We don't have to ignore it. We don't have to, ooh, that's taboo. No, healthy conflict is a good thing. We want to like have a little bit of friction. It just keeps everything spicy and, and interesting. But I'm telling you, if your relationships, if our relationships are going to last, we have to learn how to navigate our feelings. It's just part of maturing as an adult. It's just part of being healthy. We have to learn to navigate our feelings. Um, all right. Our feelings not only can mess up our relationships, you know, like this is what our feelings do. Like they kind of mess with how we remember stories. They kind of mess with how we remember situations. We're about to, you can go ahead and turn to John 21 in your Bible. We're going to read the Bible here. We're getting into that. We're going to see some conflict that Jesus and the disciples had to work through. But as, we, as you're looking for John 21, let me just, I want to just kind of frame this idea about our feelings. Our feelings affect how we experience conflict. Our feelings affect not only how we experience it in the moment, but how we remember it later. Whether you've seen like with your friends, you're talking to your friends and you hear them like, oh, had this conflict, had this situation go through. And you just hear them kind of paint it. You're like, wow, that other person's the devil. You're like a perfect little angel. It sounds like you did absolutely nothing wrong. You ever heard there's three sides to every story? There's your side, there's my side, and then there's the truth. Why is that? Feelings. We bring judgment on other people. We judge ourselves by our intentions, and we judge other people by our feelings. Well, that made me, that just made me so mad. I can't believe they would do that. And then when we retell the story, we kind of paint the whole picture and the whole scenario with our feelings, with our feelings. I remember doing this. Uh, we had, April and I had this counselor and she was amazing. Her name was Pat Reynolds. God bless her. She's in heaven now. She was, had lived a whole lot of life, had a ton of experience. That's just a polite way of saying she was old. So this lady's got a ton of life experience, had been married probably 50-plus years, wonderful. Kids are doing great. Grandkids are doing great. Everything's just wonderful. She, you know, was just such a professional as far as her training and licensed therapist and counselor and all that. She was amazing. But on t- as if that wasn't enough to help me. Then this lady had this phenomenal prophetic gift. And you could kind of lie or, like, leave out some parts of the detail, and she would just boop. How did you know that? They teach you that at school? No, it was just the Holy Spirit. Like So, so you probably don't want a counselor like that. She will straighten you out. Like There's no, like, lying. There's no getting out of there. But I remember we were rehashing, because when April and I got married, like, she always would tell me, I don't understand how you have a communication studies degree and you're terrible at communication. Like how are like our connection, like our signals, our meanings are getting crossed. Like how in the world? And so Pat helped me with a very simple exercise. What I'm hearing you say after April would talk is, and kind of like say it back, is that correct? It's amazing what that one little technique did. It was, oh, man, what a blessing, right? Anyway, but as we're going through this, I was rehashing this story. She's like, well, tell me about one of your most recent conflicts. And I was just telling it, like, from my point of view. And then, can you believe, Pat? Can you believe what she did? I, and she was just like, 
Now, April, what's the truth? <laughs> and then April, tells, she's like, see, you guys are experiencing two different things because you're all in your feelings. You're remembering it through your feelings, through the lens of your feelings. It's not accurate. But that really helped me. So that's free. Just want to give it to you. <laughs> Today in John 21, let's just read the first. Let's read the first part of this. Later, we'll read the first six verses and then we'll take a break. I'll fill you in kind of with what's going on. Then we'll pick back up. All right, here we go. John 21, verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the, other, the two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went, out on, they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night long. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. You know, a lot of times I've heard that preached from the simple thing of just obedience, which it's there, right? That's a principle. If Jesus tells you to do something, you're gonna, you should do it, right? Like we can agree that if God tells you to do something, do it. It's going to be for your best, right? But today, this story to me is so much more than just simple obedience. There was some betrayal. There was some feelings. There was some disconnect. There was all sorts of things going on with the disciples. There was some confusion. There was some shame. There was some doubt and some guilt. There were all these things in play in this moment. And to see how Jesus took the initiative and just stepped into where they were at, it will heal and help any relationship. It's amazing. We don't need another self-help book. We just need to figure out what Jesus did and then do it. Y'all want some freedom in your relationships today? Y'all want some help with your coworkers and your boss that's acting all crazy? Here we go. This is going to help. Let me give you a little context and a little backdrop. Like this story is kind of only like mildly interesting without understanding the context. Oh, so they had wasted all night long trying to fish. Jesus said, do it this way. They did it that way. And then they pulled in about 150 large fish. The nets didn't even break. It was a miracle, right? Kind of interesting, a little bit boring. Like, what's the point? But when you understand the backdrop of what had just taken place, it fills in the gaps. So Jesus is having this conversation with some of his disciples, but we got to understand before we can get to the throw your nets on the right side of the boat, we got to understand Jesus was on this planet for 33 years. For 30 of those years, he was just growing in stature with God and with man. He was just maturing. His public ministry, where he taught, where he laid hands, where he healed people, it was only three years long. And at the very beginning of those three years, what did he do? He picked out 12 disciples in a very similar, eerie situation to what we're reading here. They were fishing. He picked them out. Hey, Peter, you're not going to be a fisher of men. Or you're not going to be a fisher of fish. You're going to be a fisher of men. This is what I've called you to. Come follow me. Right? So this moment's kind of becoming full circle. But after those 33 years, and after those three years of just pouring into the disciples, I mean, his public ministry, I mean, man, the stories 
the stories of healing and people with blindness regaining their sight and deaf ears being healed and the lame walking and Lazarus coming out of the grave. I mean, the stories were so numerous, they couldn't even, they would fill all the books of the earth that it was captured. But at the end of that, what happened? Think about it from Jesus' perspective. At the end of those three years of giving everything he had, teaching those guys everything, those 12, everything he knew, everything he just kept teaching and keep teaching. and keep, The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of you want to be first, then you need to be last. Like It's all about serving. The son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve. He just kept download after download, after adjustment, after correction, after just, just kept pouring his life out. And, and now at the end of it, his closest friends, the guys we know as the disciples, with their very lips, had betrayed him, had left him, had abandoned him. At the sto- I remember at the garden, he was betrayed by Judas with a kiss. The rest of them scattered. Peter, his boy, Closer than his boy, Peter, with his own lips, denied him three times. I don't know that, Jesus. Stop asking me. No, no, no. You're one of the Galileans. I don't know him. Stop asking me. I don't know him. No, no, no. Seriously. This little girl, Peter's scared of this little girl. No, you're one of them. I saw you with him. No, I don't know him. I'm not with him. The rooster crows, just like Jesus said would happen. Peter's ashamed, he feels condemned, and he runs out. And Jesus is beaten. He's got the crown of thorns shoved on his head. He's crucified. He's stabbed. He's pierced. And he dies. And he's buried even in a tomb that he didn't own. And we know that Judas goes and hangs himself. He couldn't live with it. The other guys, what did they do? They went back to their life before Jesus. Come on, talk about a pattern. When we get shameful and we get condemned and we feel afraid, and what do we do? We run back to the thing that feels comfortable. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You just go back to what feels comfortable. That's what they did. They went back to their life before Jesus. Well, I don't know how to make sense of this, but I know how to, like, catch some fish. And they go back, and it's fruitless. The nets after all night long. You are a professional fisherman. And you caught nothing? Just to add some salt to it, right? Just insult the injury. Like, you go back to get pleasure and to figure out, I know this part of my life, this part makes sense, and nothing's there? And then a man on the side of the riverbank, on the sea, right there on the bank, just says, hey, fellas, throw your nets on the right side. Try casting them out on the other side. And they do. And they're overwhelmed with the goodness of God. Even when they were condemned and ashamed and felt all the certain way, Jesus still initiated and went back to get them. This is just amazing to me. Every single person Jesus had counted on, every single person that he had poured his life into, we're talking intimate conversations, early in the morning, late at night, everybody he called a friend had isolated and abandoned and were gone and had scattered. But when that happens, what did Jesus do? 
What did he do? It's amazing to me what he did. Let's pick up verse 7. I mean, here's Peter full of guilt, full of shame, because he left Jesus when Jesus needed him the most. And Peter's now back fishing. And this is verse 7. Here we go. Then the disciples, then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. And when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his tunic, because he put his tunic on because he had stripped for work. He jumped into the water and he headed to the shore. The others stayed in the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore, for they were only about 100 yards away from the shore. When they got there, they found a breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over charcoal fire and some bread. This is what Jesus says to Peter. Bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and he dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, yet the net hadn't torn. Now come, have some breakfast. Dinner parties in the Bible right there. <laughs> Jesus said, now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them bread and the fish Sorry, serve them bread. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to the disciples since he had been raised from the dead. There's four things we've got to do if we want to get out of our feelings and bring healing to a relationship that has conflicts. All right. And every relationship you have is going to have some conflicts. So number one, we're going to learn from the life of Jesus. Number one, you got to flip the lens. You've got to learn to flip the lens. So many times when we're walking through a conflict, all we can feel and all we see and all we feel is what we are experiencing. And when we do that, it's just all about our feelings. It's all about the wound. It's all about what happened to us. It's about us. But when we learn to flip the lens, come over to the other side of the story, over there on the boat where they're fishing, if we can learn to get to the other side and see things from their perspective, then empathy and understanding begins to grow in our heart. I know how Jesus must have felt. Hebrews 4.13 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus was human. He walked through what we have to walk through. He experienced abandonment and hurt and assault and anger and malicious things being said. He experienced all of that. But you know what he did with these disciples? He could empathize he could relate he could figure out what they man they, I bet those boys are scared oh man I bet those boys are frustrated they've been out all night long and haven't caught anything Ooh, I bet they're salty hey fellas throw your nets on the other side it's gonna be okay just give that a try and then he just revealed himself of who he was man and Simon Peter so excited. This is the guy that was walking on water. He won't walk in this time. He was straight up in it just wading through. Oh, my goodness, that's the Lord. He's back. He's back. We got to experience him. We got to see him. Jesus! If you want to bring healing to your relationship, the first thing you got to do is learn to walk a mile in the other person's shoe. 
before you ever bring criticism to anybody, walk a mile in the other person's shoes. And then when you're there, one, criticize them because you'll be a mile away. They can't do anything about it. And you'll have their shoes. Come on, man. That's a dead joke. Y'all got to give me some love on that. This is planned. But no, learning to walk a mile in someone else's shoe, learning to see things from their advantage point, from their perspective, when we do that, something in our heart, empathy begins to grow. And man, like, oh, I'm kind of feeling it this way, but yeah, I can kind of see how you're upset about that too. I can kind of understand where you're coming from because you just see it from the other point of view. Man, I just can't imagine the disciples. They've gone back to their old life and it's completely unfruitful. How must that have felt? Come on, anybody can relate to that? I went back to this thing I thought would bring me joy, bring me pleasure, bring me contentment. I went back to looking at my finances and getting satisfaction, and it did nothing. Went back to that relationship, it did nothing. Why? Because the Lord wasn't there. But I'm telling you, Jesus, get what's it like to be human. He was tempted. He was full of emotions, but he wasn't led by them. Emotions are a good gauge. Come on, Jesus got angry, made a cord in the temple, flipping over tables, whipping people. He was all in his fills. But it was a gauge. The heart of God was sad. The heart of God was angry. The heart of God was offended. And he brought correction. But he didn't stay there. Jesus was merciful and loving and kind and gracious. He didn't always, you just don't always see Jesus beating people with cords. Oh, you're blind? Swack! Oh, you're caught in adultery? Swack! No, it was just this one-time thing. All right, so I think we get the point. You got to flip the lens. We got to learn to see from their perspective. We got to see from their side. That helps us with understanding and empathy. Number two, yo, we got to initiate. When there's been a conflict and there's been hurt or there's been trust violated and broken, it's so easy for us to get caught in our feelings and stay isolated, stay hurt, stay angry. But what happens when we do that? It doesn't hurt the other person. It just brings more separation, more isolation, more things that need to be healed. Let me help out every lady in this room. The passive-aggressive, call it what it is, the passive-aggressive technique, tactic of the silent treatment doesn't work. Because most of us guys enjoy the break. Right? This is too real. This is too real. It's just like, oh, sure is quiet around here. Why is it so quiet? Oh, wait a minute. I've been here before. I know what's going on. Let me retract my steps. What did I do wrong? It's way too quiet in this house, right? Like, but that technique, get it out of your toolbox. Don't use that. Initiate. Don't withdraw. Initiate. No, I love you. This relationship's too valuable just to discard it and throw it away. I'm going to initiate what's going on. Jesus came and found these guys. These guys had ran. They went back to the old life. The G, I mean, this is amazing to me. This is so amazing to me. Jesus Christ, he had conquered the grave. He's defeated hell. And what does he have to do? Go find his boys. He loves us so much, he had to have them. Where are they at? Where are they at? They're fishing. Let's go rescue them. Let's go get them. 
Come on, man. If that doesn't inspire you to be the initiator in a relationship, I don't think anything else will. God so loved mankind. It's beautiful to me that Jesus just didn't just write them off on uh, these relationships. I mean, three years, yeah, they're expendable. No, like he initiated, he ran them down, he found them. But when you experience a, a, an offense or a conflict and you're sad or you're mad or you're angry, what do you do? Do you shrink back or do you just press in and lean in? It's an important question. I'm telling you, if we don't learn to deal with our feelings, we're going to end up isolated and we're going to end up jumping from relationship to relationship, from job to job to job to job. We got to learn to initiate. We got to learn to initiate. I'm telling you right now, two wrongs never make a right. Like two wrongs never will fix it. Someone has got to initiate, so it might as well just be us. You know what I mean? Like if you just, I'm just waiting for that person to apologize. I'm just waiting. Well, what if you, they never apologize? Can you learn just to just bury it and just keep moving forward? Like, you know what, man? That really hurt my feelings when you said that about me. When you didn't show up at Christmas, that really hurt my feelings. And it hurt me. Now, I want you to know I love you. I forgive you. I'm still with you. Like, I'm with you. But, man, you got to know, like, that really hurt me. But I want to move forward. How can we move forward together? It takes someone just doing right, being the bigger person, acting like Jesus, and just going in and initiating it. All right? So step one, we got to flip the lens. We got to learn to see things from their side. Number two, we got to bring, we got to initiate. Like it's not just going to happen magically. Ooh, enough time. Time does not heal all pain. It just doesn't. It just allows for more scar tissue to grow and develop and different. I'm just telling you, time doesn't bring healing. I mean, some things hurt a little bit less when we're further removed from it, but it's not time that brings the healing. It's Jesus. It's his unconditional love and his mercy and his grace that can redeem and restore any hurt we go through in any relationship. But even when it's uncomfortable, it's worth it. Even when it's uncomfortable and it stings a little bit and we really are unsure, I don't know. It's like jumping off the high dive for the first time when you're a kid. I don't know how this is going to go. It will be worth it if you'll just jump and initiate. Number three, we got to get on the same side. No matter what we go through, no matter how bad the conflict is, no matter how bad the offense is, we just got to learn to get on the same side. In a relationship, we're either going to fight with each other or we're going to fight for each other. And we don't want to be so focused on fighting each other that we're not fighting for each other and moving forward and advancing the purpose of this relationship just to move forward. Too busy fighting each other instead of fighting for each other. Come on, man, that's marriages all over the place. That's interpersonal relationships at work all over the place, right? Conflict is prevalent everywhere. It's going on. Well, my budget, my department needs this, and they and nah, we're too busy fighting with each other that we're not fighting for each other. Let's put the company's best interests at heart for once. Let's put somebody else's. Let's just keep moving forward and fighting together. Get the knife out of their back, right? And use it to start fighting forward with them telling you we got to learn to get on the same side 
Go back to your first love. Go back to what it was like in the good times. Remember how much you've invested into that relationship and that it's not just worth throwing away. We got to get on the same side. What's our purpose? What's God called us to do? What's he called us to move forward with? I mean, come on. Do we really want to just go through another life situation, a new place of employment for the 10th time? Won't my fault. It was them. Do we really want to start a new relationship again with someone else? All because we just won't see things from their point of view, kind of try to understand what's going on? Be the bigger person and just initiate, man, I love you too much for our relationship to just stay this way. What's going on? Let's talk. Come have a cup of coffee with me. Let's just figure it out. I'm telling you, as we begin to do this, and as we begin to get do the tedious and labor-intensive work of navigating conflict, navigating our feelings, getting to a healthy place where we can discuss things. If, as we begin to do that, we can finally get to a place of healing where we're on the same side. But now what? What do we do? Point number four, affirmation is a good thing. Whenever there's been a violation of trust, whenever there's been a violation of, of just unity, affirmation is a good thing. It's amazing what an affirming word can do. Nick, you're all right with me, man. You're a good guy. You're pretty smart. Yeah, you know, I am. Right? You just kind of feel, man, Trey, you're, man, I'm so glad that we were able to get back on the same side, man. Like, I'm so much better with you in my life. Like, I wouldn't have wanted to be doing this thing without you, man. I'm so glad we're back on the same side. To your spouse, oh, honey, man, not having peace in the home drove me bananas. It's so good that we're back on the same page. It's so good that we're willing to fight for each other. We've got so much equity in this relationship because we keep investing. Oh, man, your friendship's like a breath of fresh air, right? It could just bring so much encouragement. It's amazing what affirmation can do. Professor, try this, guys, at State. Professor, I've never heard anybody teach this subject like you. The way you, could t- you teach it just connects and it makes sense in my head. Yeah. At Starbucks for my baristas. Man, I've never seen anybody train somebody to pull a cortada like that. That's amazing. It's amazing what affirmation can do. It helps people feel secure in their identity. Yeah, man, I did pull that cortada the right way. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You just kind of walk, bow your shoulders back, stand up a little bit taller, and you feel secure in the relationship. Oh, man, this thing was so fragile a couple weeks ago. But now they keep telling me they like me. They keep telling me that this relationship means something. They keep telling me it's worth it. It is worth it. I am a little bit good looking, right? You just whatever. You just start to feel like, man, I belong here. I'm a part of this thing. It is amazing what affirmation will do. Parents, affirm your kids. Affirm your kids even when they do something silly and punch you in the right eye. Charlotte and I were playing hide and go seek and I had the hoodie over my face. All right, Charlotte, you can't find me. Wham! My, I really thought I was going to have a black eye. This happened yesterday morning. I was like, man, I'm going to roll up the preach and just have like a huge shiner. Like that girl swacked me. I was so mad at her. Charlotte, man, no one's ever going to tame your spirit, girl. You're awesome. Like keep running, man. You're going to change the world. Like I was wondering, why would you hit me? So we talked about it. Like it's not okay to hit people. Like don't do that. But, but just like 
oh, affirmation is such a good thing. Come on, how many of our kids are just waiting to hear us say, I love you, I'm proud of you. I'm so glad I get to be your dad. I get to be your mom. Man, there's no one like you. Husbands, tell your wife today, baby, I'm so glad you married me. Out of all the people in the world you could have chose, you chose me. That means something. You're my ride or die. I'm with you. means something. To your boss, hey, you could have hired anybody else in Raleigh, but you chose me. Thank you for choosing me. I'm glad I get to work for you. You're a good boss. You're an epic leader. We've got people to help in Raleigh. We've got things to sell, customers to serve. Let's go. We can do it. But I'm telling you, affirmation is a good thing. You never know what will be on the opposite side of an affirming word. You could set somebody free. You could elevate somebody. Affirmation always pulls out the best in people. It always pulls out the potential. Affirming words. But criticism, worrying, negative Nancy. Sorry if you're Nancy. Negativity does not bring the best out of people. It brings the worst out of them. Well, you already think I'm going to mess up, so I'm just going to mess up. It's just a matter. No. No, we got to stop living that way. We've got to walk the walk of Jesus and initiate when we've been done wrong. Not pull back, but press in because the relationship is worth it. Amen. Did this help anybody other than me? I'm ready to go out, charge, affirm my kids, affirm my wife, affirm people in my life, my barista at Starbucks. They need it. Oh, man. Well, look. I want to pray for us. These techniques will help, but ultimately what we need is more of the heart of God. You know what I mean? We need more of his love, more of his fruit, more of his kindness, more of his Holy Spirit. That's really what we need. Yeah, these techniques will help, and they're good things. Do them. You'll see some change in your relationships. I promise you that. But ultimately, it can't just be us driving it. It's got to be him. It's got to be his heart in our heart. We hope that you have been inspired and encouraged by today's message. For more info or to connect with us, check us out at c3citylight.com.